1: Senate and House committees have been investigating Russian meddling in the 2016 election for more than a year, yet the first congressional criminal referral is a request for the Justice Department to investigate a former British spy whose disputed dossier on President Trump's ties to Russia has been a flashpoint. Senate Judiciary Chairman Chuck Grassley and fellow Republican Senator Lindsey Graham took the unusual step of asking for the investigation of former British spy Christopher Steele last Friday. The move was ripped. By Democrats on the panel, Senator Dianne Feinstein of California, the top Democrat on the panel, said the Democrats were not consulted and called this an effort to deflect attention from the broader Russia investigation. My guest is William Banks, professor at Syracuse University School of Law. Bill, let's first discuss what Grassley and Graham are asking for. As I understand it, it's an investigation which would most likely be done by the FBI, about whether Steele lied to the FBI about his statements to the press about the dossier. Sounds a little circular.
2: It is a little circular, and and I think you've summarized it well, and I I agree with Senator Feinstein's characterization. I think this is a a partisan move to deflect attention from the uh, core of the investigation that's ongoing. It's, it is, I think, uh, uh, fair to wonder uh, more about the Steele dossier and how it came into the hands of uh, of our intelligence community and just what Steele was up to. You know, the the bottom line, however, is that whatever uh, role his dossier has played, our intelligence community had other sources that would have led them to the information about Russian uh, interference in the election, even if Steele. Uh, had never uh, written his dossier or tried to share it with the United States.
1: Is that why there's been so much focus on this dossier? Whether or not that was how the Russian investigation was started by the FBI.
2: Well, I think some of the Republicans on the committees are trying to characterize it that way to uh, undermine the, the sort of uh, the, pre- the premise which began the investigation—that there was some lawful way to know in 2016, that the Russians were up to no good here. Indeed, though, we know from uh, uh, from several media reports that the uh, Justice Department had intelligence intercepts on Russian attempts to interfere in, interfere in the election, at least by June or July of 2016, and likely much earlier.
1: How unusual is this for a congressional committee to ask for an investigation like this?
2: it's fairly unusual and of course they can they can ask but they don't have any legal authority to compel it's simply a request a referral it's up to the justice department to decide what to do with that referral so again i think it's more posturing than anything else Uh, i think they are trying to undermine uh, the the steel dossier and that's fine i don't think that the steel steel dossier is going to be central to any part of the investigation going forward, because, as I said, they had other ways of obtaining the same information, and much of the stuff that's in the steel dossier, I think, is not really part of the congressional investigation, nor part of what Mueller's
1: trying to do. Some legal experts have said that this shows the Justice Department being pulled into a partisan battle. Is the independence of the Justice Department at stake in any way here?
2: Well, it would be, I think, if they if they took this uh, uh, request uh, very seriously. I think they they won't. I think they'll decline. As we know, uh, you know, the the uh, Justice Department itself was uh, hobbled a bit at the very beginning because Attorney General Sessions was recused from being involved in the uh, in the supervision of the Mueller investigation. So that's being handled by the deputy, Rod Rosenstein. And now, uh, you know, with with requests coming from Congress, uh, you you further question, I think, the independence of justice. But I I think justice is up to the task here. They'll simply uh, decline to move forward with this request.
1: I wonder on a practical level, this request would involve digging into allegations of the dossier. Are those are those allegations that the Republicans necessarily want to be, you know, inquired about?
2: I think they're probably, if they could, they would, they would be more interested in how the dossier found its way into the hands of U.S. investigators who paid Steele and why, what was their motivation. So to try to paint the Democrats, and particularly the Clinton campaign, in an unfavorable light.
1: Tell us about what's been happening uh, between Chuck Grassley and the organization that, as I understand it, initially asked for this dossier to be made.
2: Well, I think Grassley, uh, who, who's uh, you know long been a chair of the of the Senate Committee and is a uh, you know decades long experience in, in the Senate has never been a fan of the of the Clintons or the Clinton uh, uh campaign and attempt at the presidency in 2016 and i think he he sees uh, this as one of the few opportunities that he's had now that uh, that Donald Trump is the president to try to uh gain some kind of uh <clears throat> victory against the Clintons, even even after their uh, electoral opportunities have gone by the wayside.
1: So it was just to straighten out where the what we know about the dossier. A group called Fusion GPS originally commissioned it, and then it was picked up later um, by the Clinton campaign.
2: That's, that's what we believe, based on what's been reported, uh, and uh, a law firm may have been involved in paying for the dossier, the law firm that uh, was supporting the Clinton campaign at the time. I, don't, I think none of these can be called hard facts at, the, at this point, because it's uh, all based on reporting from a lot of multiple sources.
1: Lindsey Graham also said he wants a special counsel to review the matter. So a special counsel in addition to the special counsel. Right. Why is that allegation, why is, why is that request being made?
2: Well, I think Graham is just going at the same objective in a different way. You know, if you can't get the Justice Department to, to uh, launch a, a criminal case, you, you might get them to appoint a special counsel. And I, I think he's, again, sort of flailing at windmills here that that's not likely to happen. We've got an investigation ongoing of Russian interference. Often, uh, you know, uh, I've said this to you on your program before, I think we sometimes lose sight that the investigation is principally about Russian interference. The chance that it's also about Trump administration or Trump campaign collusion was not the principal objective <laughs> for the investigation. It may be a secondary objective, but it and it gets pr- certainly more of the attention, I think, in our media. Uh, and so the Republicans are reacting to what may be the lesser of the two uh, objectives of the investigation.
1: All right. Thanks, Bill. It's always a pleasure to have you here. The Supreme Court is back in session. By a vote of 7 to 3, the justices ordered a lower court to take a new look at a Georgia inmate's death sentence after one of the jurors referred to the defendant using a racial slur. Joining us is Bloomberg News Supreme Court reporter Greg Storr. Greg, did the jurors' comments come out during the 1991 trial?
3: No, June, they didn't. They didn't come out till about seven years after the trial when uh, the defendants, Mr. Tharp's lawyers, were doing some additional investigating. And they went and they talked to the, the juror and he made those comments. And then they uh, persuaded him to, to sign an affidavit to that effect.
1: So the justices, seven to three at least, decided that this was cause for another review by a federal court?
3: Yes, yeah, so, so uh, the Federal Appeals Court, so he had tried, convicted, sentenced to death, um, had gone through several several layers of appeals, the so-called habeas process, and he was basically trying to, and is still trying to, essentially reopen his conviction based on this new evidence, and the Eleventh uh, Circuit Court of Appeals said, um, uh, no, you don't have enough here to, to reopen it, and the Supreme Court essentially said, you are a little too quick to do that um, at a minimum. Mr. Tharp has uh, shown that there was some prejudice to his trial, that the juror's comments uh, did, probably did affect how he voted in the case. And now go back and look at some of the state's other arguments for, for keeping the verdict intact.
1: So what would the defendant have to show? Because as you wrote, Georgia still has other arguments for not reopening the case.
3: Yeah, so this essentially, and a lot of this was, was contained in a dissent by Justice Clarence Thomas, along with Justices Gorsuch and Alito. Um, it, it, they pointed out essentially that, that, as I said, this is a, a conviction that has been finalized, and it's a very high bar that, that courts expected this defendant to meet to reopen something. Um, and in this case, among other things, uh, Mr. Tharp has going to have to show that there was some good reason why he didn't uh, provide this evidence at an earlier stage in the process, uh, the, the Thomas defense, the dissent, excuse me, essentially says. Um... Uh, there's no way he's going to be able to to clear that bar. There's there's ample evidence that he he did not have good reason to to wait so long before bringing this out.
1: So, Greg, the justices didn't take on any new cases today, but there are a few interesting cases that they turned away, one involving a Mississippi law that lets businesses and government workers refuse on religious grounds to provide services to gay and transgender people. Tell us about that case.
3: Yeah, so so this is... uh, A lot of people are familiar with the Colorado case the Supreme Court has where Colorado uh, said that uh, a baker had to sell uh, wedding cakes to a same-sex couple if he was going to sell them to other couples. Um, This is almost like the flip side of that, where Mississippi, in this debate between religious rights on one side and uh, equal rights on the other side for gay and lesbian people, Mississippi decided we're going to be on the side of religious rights, and we're going to give individuals, businesses, uh, government employees a very broad... Right to say, I have a religious objection to same sex marriage or to sex out of wedlock, um, or to uh, I have a very strong religious view that uh, uh, a person's gender is immutable and therefore uh, you know I, I don't want to uh, provide services to say transgender people or, or, or gay and lesbian people. And uh, the, the lower court said in this case that the people who are challenging Mississippi's law hadn't yet hadn't shown that they were going to be injured by it. So uh, they they threw out the case. It's possible we'll get another legal challenge at a later point where uh, we have a very specific situation where somebody says, I was harmed. Uh, I'm a gay person. I was harmed because of this law.
1: Yeah, that makes a little more sense because I was surprised because critics say the law lets government clerks refuse to issue same-sex marriage licenses. And that was certainly settled when the court legalized same-sex marriage. So... There's still, there's still a, a point where this may come back to the court.
3: It, it may well. You could see a case where, if that, if that happens and a couple says, I was treated, we were treated in a discriminatory manner and, and in violation of the Supreme Court's decision that legalized gay marriage, you could see them um, uh, pressing a new legal challenge and that might incorporate the Mississippi law.
1: There was some good news for plaintiffs in Florida smoker lawsuits.
3: Yes. So um, uh, a number of years ago, if you recall, there was a big class action case in Florida against smokers called Engel. And in that case, the jury found essentially found that cigarettes are really, really dangerous. And uh, since then, in individual trials, um, plaintiffs have been able to use that verdict in Engel as sort of a starting point. And uh, this this was an appeal by um, Philip Morris and R.J. Reynolds uh, in one of those individual cases saying, hey, we have a constitutional right for, to, to expect that this plaintiff show that our products actually caused her um, to uh, get, get sick. And um, uh, the, the federal appeals court in this case said, no, actually the, the Engel jury decided that question. That was a class action. We all knew that was going to apply very broadly, so there is no constitutional problem today, the Supreme Court said, we're not going to hear arguments on the the tobacco company appeal.
1: So, Greg, about a minute here. The Supreme Court is going to decide about more cases as we go on. And there's the case involving Amazon may come up.
3: Yes. So Amazon is not technically involved in it, but this is the, uh, uh, a decision from 25 years ago that said that states cannot impose sales taxes on uh, on internet retailers, mail order companies, unless they have a physical presence in their state. They can't require those companies to collect those sales taxes. The Supreme Court could well revisit that case. That would be a big deal in the world of internet commerce and could open up billions of dollars of new revenue to states and local governments.
1: So watching for that on Friday when they consider their cases again.
3: That's right. Yeah, we could we could well get a, a list of new cases on Friday.
1: All right. Thanks so much, as always, Greg, for being here. That's Greg Storr, Bloomberg News, Supreme Court reporter. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg.